Is depression a condition of immune activation? There has been a dramatic paradigm shift in how we think about inflammatory response and disease. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Charles Raison. Dr. Raison is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Emory University School of Medicine, where he also serves as director of the Behavioral Immunology Clinic, clinical director of the Mind-Body Program, and co-director of the Collaboration for Contemplative Studies. His research focuses on bi-directional relationships between stress and immune systems, especially as these pertain to depression in the medically ill. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Happy to be here. Dr. Rizan, is there evidence for an increased inflammatory response in depressed patients? Yeah, I think absolutely. And it's an interesting story because, you know, for the first probably 15 years that people were interested in looking at the relationship between the immune system and depression, people tend to focus on the fact that certain immune activities are suppressed by stress and are reduced in depressed people. Depression is a condition that's associated with so many losses that I think there's something just intuitively attractive about the idea that it would be associated with loss of immune functioning. And it's true, there are aspects of the immune system that are suppressed in depression, but what has represented a tremendous paradigm shift in the last decade or so is this increasing realization that other parts of the immune system, especially inflammatory components of the immune system, are increased in many people with depression. And that if you look at groups of depressed people compared to age and sex-matched non-depressed people, they tend to show evidence of heightened inflammation. Dr. Rezan, does the type of depression that the patient has matter? You know, that's an interesting question. The answer to that is, I think, honestly, if you look at all the data we have, it's not entirely clear. You know how it is, I think, in general, in science, and certainly in psychiatry, that when you look at a topic like this, there's hundreds of papers now, and there's not complete agreement. So I would say that there's some evidence or a suggestion that people that have melancholic-type depression, so the kind of symptoms where people tend to be more anxious, tend to wake up early in the morning, tend to have a mood that doesn't improve when faced with good life circumstances, people that tend to not eat. That constellation of symptoms has been in several studies more likely to be associated with increased inflammation. There also are a number of studies suggesting that in general, the more severe the depression is, so that if you take a depression scale and just have people you know, fill it out and you add up the numbers, that in general, the higher the numbers, the higher the level of inflammation. It's not 100% consistent, but those are two sort of suggestions in the literature. There's some evidence that older people with depression are more likely to demonstrate this increase in inflammation compared to younger people with depression. But I should caution it by saying that when we think about things like inflammatory systems, they're very broad and they're very general. They're like the stress system. In fact, they are part of the stress response. And so there's a lot of noise in these systems and there's a lot of heterogeneity. And so these represent large trends. They don't map as well onto these very specific psychiatric diagnoses that were, after all, invented by human beings. So it's not as if I think we're going to find that one type of depression is associated with increased inflammation and another isn't. I think what we're going to find is that, on average, depressed people have higher levels of inflammation, and some depressed people will have it, and some depressed people won't. So one of the interesting findings, I think, is that if you just take uh, some inflammatory marker, let's say like 
C-reactive protein, and you look at the levels in a normal population, the levels tend to be more tightly close to each other, whereas in depressed people, there's this large spread. You know, there's some depressed people that are normal, and then there's half the depressed people that are, that are much, much higher. And one of the things that we are just now beginning to work on is trying to understand who are those depressed people with higher inflammation, and, you know, and what does it mean, and are there treatment implications for mm. it? Now, I wonder, does bipolarity somehow impart some protection against the inflammatory response? No, definitely not. In fact, this is just something that's in its infancy, but there have been probably five or six studies done in the last three years showing that, in fact, groups of bipolar depressed people have elevated inflammation. And mania is probably also a state of increased inflammation. It's an interesting fact that if you look at depressed people or manic people and you look in their bodies, it's not just in the realm of inflammation, but also in the realm of, say, the HPA axis. Mania and depression look a great deal like each other physiologically. So, no, uh, bipolarity is definitely not a protection from this phenomenon. How about the number of depressive episodes throughout one's life? Is it additive, or once you get it, you get it? It's a good question, and the answer to that is that we don't know yet. The studies that have linked depression to inflammation have not asked that question yet, which is interesting because, of course, we know for other physiologic processes linked to inflammation, like for instance, changes in brain morphology and, and the sort of wear and tear indices in the brain, there is a pretty good signal that the longer you're depressed, the more often you're depressed, the more you see these sort of physiologic changes. But, you know, that's an area that needs more research in terms of the link with inflammation and depression. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Charles Raison. We are discussing depression and the immune response. Now, Dr. Raison, can you tell us about the role of cytokines in this process? Yes, absolutely. You know, cytokines have really gotten to be a buzzword all around medicine and increasingly so in the world of psychiatry. So what are cytokines? Cytokines is a generic term for a large group of molecules that are structurally very different from each other but that share in common the following things. One, they're produced by immune cells, cells like macrophages or monocytes or, you know, T cells and B cells. They're produced by those cells and they are released into the blood and they activate the immune system or they suppress the immune system. There are some cytokines that are actually anti-inflammatory like interleukin-10, but they're basically soluble signaling molecules. That's what a cytokine is. And so that word is a huge word. And just to make matters more interesting, it turns out that these cytokines are not just produced by immune molecules. So let's focus in on the three probably most famous cytokines, which are called the sort of classic pro-inflammatory cytokines, one called interleukin-1, one called interleukin-6, and then a cytokine called tumor necrosis factor alpha, or often called TNF-alpha. These three inflammatory cytokines are produced by macrophages and monocytes and cells that activate the innate immune system, but they're also produced by fat cells, especially interleukin-6. And so, for instance, we know in people that, that are not acutely infected that the primary source for interleukin-6 comes from the fat, and especially belly fat. And another a group of cells that we know produce cytokines, unfortunately, much to our detriment usually in the modern world, is vasculature, uh, so vascular cells. So especially coronary arteries uh, have been shown now many times to produce cytokines like interleukin-6. And to the degree they do that, that's a risk factor for cardiac disease and myocardial infarction. Brain cells also produce pro-inflammatory cytokines. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence that these molecules 
are signaling molecules within the central nervous system in addition to their role in the immune system. So, for instance, one of the most fascinating studies linking stress to inflammation was done by Stephen Mayer's group in Colorado, where they basically took mice and showed that if you put them in solitary confinement, it caused memory problems. You could block that phenomenon if you blocked pro-inflammatory cytokine production in the brain after a stressor. So you stress a mouse and it causes memory disturbances. There's no bacteria, there's no immune stimulus, but the stress activates pro-inflammatory cytokines in the brain. You block that process, you block the loss of memory. Really spectacular. So, and we know that in that same paradigm that the pro-inflammatory cytokine here, it was interleukin-1, also directly suppressed brain-derived neurotrophic factor expression in the hippocampus, which of course is the best known, uh, at least to psychiatry, of these trophic factors that keep brain cells alive and healthy. So when we talk about these pro-inflammatory cytokines, there's this wonderful sort of synchronistic, synergistic paradigm that's emerging that these molecules, yes, they play key roles in activating the immune system. They're the primary players in why you feel sick when you get infected. But we now know they're activated by stress. We now know that they're produced by multiple cell types in the body. And unfortunately, in the modern world, increasingly, many of the most prominent modern illnesses, including depression, are associated with overactivity of these, of these molecules. Wow. <laughs> you know, it gets me thinking in clinical practice how many depressed patients we have on medicines that contribute to obesity. Absolutely. So that these folks potentially are getting a double hit on their inflammatory system from increased fat deposition and then the increased inflammation just due to the depression. Oh, correct and correct. And it's interesting. If you look at the literature on depression and inflammatory markers, it's about evenly split between studies that find that the association is explained by body weight and studies that show that there's something extra that goes along even if you control for body weight. But BMI, body weight, and especially, again, it's the kind of waist-hip ratio because fat cells in the gut are of a different ilk and, and are more problematic. That weight very much related to being a risk factor for depression. And there was a recent, I can't remember the first author was, but in the last year there was this fascinating study, I think in the archives of general psychiatry, showing that body weight is a risk factor for non-response to antidepressants. So that even if you control for blood levels, something about those fat cells are related to not responding to antidepressants. We also know that cytokine levels are a predictor of non-response. So there's a number of studies now showing that depressed people that have elevated cytokines are less likely to respond to antidepressants. So that, that doesn't prove the connection, but it, it's beguiling. You know, it, it really suggests that these sort of inflammatory processes are emerging as a sort of holistic sort of potential explanatory mechanism to account for exactly these sort of associations that you're referring to. Is there any place for this in clinical practice to measure these cytokines? Could that be helpful to us? It's interesting. That's what the research is doing right now. We're involved with that. A number of groups are involved with looking to see, A, whether elevations in cytokine before treatment could guide treatment choices, B, whether people that have increased inflammation and are depressed would benefit specifically from adding some type of anti-inflammatory strategy to their antidepressants. It's a very interesting question. You know, there's a study by a researcher named Mueller that came out in molecular psychiatry about a year and a half ago. And interesting, he took depressed people that were healthy. He didn't look at cytokine levels. He just took a group of depressed people, randomized them. Everybody got an antidepressant called raboxetine. It's not in the United States. It's a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Half the group got raboxetine plus placebo. 
half the group got raboxidine plus Celebrex, you know, the COX-2 inhibitor. Remarkable. Even though nobody's sick, only depressed, the people that got the addition of the Celebrex had a significant reduction in their depressive symptoms. So, very interesting. And again, that study didn't look to see whether that was being carried by the people with markers of increased inflammation. But yeah, absolutely, there are some very clear treatment implications that are beginning to emerge. Wow. You know, it's just mind-expanding to think of the possibilities here, certainly in research, but also in clinical practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Sure. My pleasure. We've been discussing the interplay between inflammatory response and depression with our guest, Dr. Charles Raison. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.